0: Welcome back to Rulsh the Journey, a podcast about the many different pathways of life and the stories that every person out there has to share. My name is Miles Biggs, and I am your host, and my guest today is a blast from my past, Mr. Matthew Pfeiffer. Matt, thanks for joining me. This is going to be fun.
1: Well, thanks for having me on, Miles. This is going to be uh, really neat to catch up with you. I think uh, Yeah, I think we were just talking. It's been a while
0: since, uh, yeah. since we caught so we both hail from the beautiful Easton, Pennsylvania. We um, We both graduated high school together in 2008, and yeah. I think we've kept up on social media loosely, but really since then, you and I haven't had a real in-depth conversation, so there's definitely a lot to cover.
1: Uh, I would agree. Yeah, absolutely.
0: <laughs> so I'd like to start with back then. You know, in high school, we were involved in a lot of similar activities, uh, be it Boy Scouts, marching band. I believe you were in the choir as well, um, and then some other scholastic things like National Honor Society and other kind of clubs that we had. Um, and our parents are friends, and so it's kind of it's kind of weird to say all that and then think that we haven't talked as you know at all because we had so much in common in high school, and it's just. Life took us in different directions. So going back to, going back to high school, just what are, what, are your, what are your memories of that? And, you know, any fun stories you feel like we had in common that we can relive now? I mean, just, just anything uh, in that side of our lives. I mean,
1: you know, when I think back to high school, I think the, the first thing I think about still is, is being involved with the marching band and uh, and all those just uh, amazing Friday nights uh, spent in Cottingham Stadium with the marching band and I know you did marching band for a couple of years uh, yep. as well. and uh, so I mean I think I think you remember those are those are my favorite memories from high school that and the Thanksgiving Day game, um, which I have talked to people about every every place I have gone I have spoken highly about the Thanksgiving Day game and the tradition in Easton around Turkey Day and just the fact that it is the de facto homecoming and that you have a high school football game where 17,000 or more people show up. And every time I tell people about it, they are stunned to hear it and they just love hearing that story and uh, about those going and, and being in the marching band for those games and just just what the atmosphere is like. So, I mean... I think those are the things that I think of the most yet uh, when I think back to high school. And, uh, you know, I mean, it was, you know, and those are the things that I know, you know, you and I both had that experience and, and building the, the wood woodpile uh, for the bonfire. On yeah. Um, just such an amazing time. So much fun with that. And um, actually, I was thinking tonight, too, and, and I know this isn't something that you were involved in, but... Tomorrow night is the Freddie Awards, and I, I did do the musical for four years. Oh, yeah. And senior year, uh, we performed in the Freddie Awards, which was kind of cool, which I actually believe was also the year that uh, Rosie O'Donnell's film company did that uh, documentary about <laughs> the Freddies. Or it was a documentary in which at least Rosie O'Donnell, I believe, was the narrator. Oh, uh, really? It just happened to be the one that we were in. Yeah, That's cool. I didn't know <laughs> that. Yeah. So... Um, but yeah, so I mean, I have a lot of good memories of high school, and and uh, you know, and of those those times there, and, and I still keep up with some people there. You know, I have to admit, you know, I haven't necessarily kept up with, with everybody, but uh, but you know, I try to as much as I can, and uh, you know, and I, I try to get back to Easton when I can. Uh, in fact, I was actually up there this past weekend for something. So uh, it's uh, yeah, I mean, a lot a lot of special memories. I don't. Are there any memories that you have of that of
0: that time? I actually hated high school, so yeah. I, I, I might be odd that way. I mean, I can look back now, and there are moments I'll enjoy, like you talked about, like I, I might be the only high school in the country that lets the seniors out of school for a week to pile wood up higher than the building and then light it on fire, you know, I'll be all in the name of football, you know? Right. So there are cool things, but, man, I, I just – Tried to fly under the radar in high school. I didn't really feel like I ever really fit into one particular crowd or another. You know, I was I was a swimmer and I did that, but that wasn't really like the coolest sport. So in our high school, football and wrestling were the the hot ticket sports. And anything other than that was just kind of a footnote. And then obviously marching band and choir were not, you know, the sexy topics of the day. Yeah, And uh, so I don't know, man, I... I just couldn't wait to get out of there, really. I mean, it sounds bad to say, but I was very much looking forward to just getting out of high school and, and kind of reinventing myself in college, which I ended up doing. But So there are some fun memories, but mostly I just I kind of cringe in some high school things just because I felt like I wasn't truly comfortable with myself to get the most out of it. And then also just kids are cruel and some experiences I had I just don't love about high school, you know. Sure, sure, no, I, I understand that,
1: and, and I've heard other people talk about that, too, I've heard other people say that they didn't didn't necessarily enjoy uh, a high school that much, I mean, I enjoyed high school, but then, like, I loved college then, I mean, that was, so, you know, it's, uh, you know, I, I guess uh, I just try to kind of take and enjoy each part of life, you know, and, and, and just try to uh, make the most out of it, so I always, you know, I always, uh, you know, try to think back on all the positive things,
0: Yeah. And, and, yeah well and so let's let's delve into that then so that's kind of where i I lost you if you would is college so i believe just following up on socials and linkedin you left easton to go to syracuse new york is that right that's
1: right syracuse university go orange
0: (laughs) so yeah so what was you say you know college was great for you what was your college experience like what did you get into and and just start there
1: Uh, i loved college so yeah i um so I chose I decided to go to Syracuse University because they have the best broadcast journalism program in the country and uh, that was something I was very interested in and uh, the Newhouse school there is fantastic you don't hear the sirens in the background do you?
0: oh I do but that's all part of the the beauty of it is this is not Uh, a professional studio (laughs) it is what it is
1: it's it's part of living in Washington D.C. down the street from the fire department
0: oh yeah and
1: and there they go (laughs) but um No, but college was great. Um, uh, So I chose to go to Syracuse, and uh, I showed up early to Syracuse because I was in the marching band at Syracuse, so we had band camp. So, uh, you know, we had to get there a whole week before the other freshmen, which was great because you ended up getting a group of friends before everybody else showed up. And, you know, you already knew where everything was because the upperclassmen in the band would tell you where everything was. And then, when all the other freshmen were lost, you already looked like you were an upperclassman who knew where you were going, uh, which isn't which isn't a bad deal. Um, but so I was involved with marching band and pep band for all four years at Syracuse. I love that. I had always wanted to be in a big time marching band when I looked at colleges. That was a requirement, <laughs> um, and Syracuse had that. So you know, I had the football program to go with it. So I got to, you know. Be a part of Division One college football through being part of the band, which was pretty awesome. Uh, I got to go to a couple bowl games. Uh, I got to do the Big East tournament for basketball. Go to the NCAA tournament. Uh, see some some amazing athletes in the process, and and those are the memories from college. Those those marching band memories are the ones that come through more than any. I mean, just. Saturday afternoons in the Carrier Dome or Friday nights where I remember we had this Friday night game against West Virginia that was just amazing Um, and just so much so much fun the the wild house as they call it was full with 45,000 people and and just playing for all of those people uh, is just such a cool experience Um, so I did that and then on the broadcast side uh, I had my own radio show uh, called Orange State um, it preceded me, and I am glad to say it still is going. Um, it was a news talk show, um, kind of a daily show esque. It was on a top 40 station in the city uh, called Z89. Um, fun fact about Z89 it's actually a student run station, but we would never admit we were students. Huh, um, so cool. that nobody in the city would realize that we were a student run station um so we we had a we had you know we had listeners outside of the campus which was great we'd interview um political candidates newsmakers uh we would talk about the biggest stories of the day we did this every friday at noon and then we would do these fun segments um the orange state of disarray which was kind of these just crazy things that governments did uh we would do the audat you know Just like, and and when I say crazy things, governments did, like, odd laws, or, you know, I remember one time it was, like, the London police did a training at, like, a really, like, weird time, and, like, did something, you're like, that doesn't make sense, why would you
0: do that? Right. Uh, Just add some commentary to it.
1: Oh, yeah, absolutely. We did the Audacity of Dopes, um, which was just usually criminals doing stupid things. Right. Um, had, uh, a lot of fun with that, and, uh... So that, that show was another thing of, of college that I, I miss dearly, actually, doing yeah. a show like that.
0: It's uh, it actually, so and that's something you and I have in common, whether you realize it or not, is I was actually the assistant manager of the radio station at my college. That's fantastic. Um, so, uh, yeah, and now here I am doing a podcast, you know, so I didn't major in broadcast journalism or anything and, and get too involved with it, but now I kind of found my way back to that creative outlet where, where you find yourself, too, in another way, but... That's that's kind of cool to hear you did the same thing in college on the radio station. Oh, yeah. My, I love the radio. Yeah, my roommate and I had a show together, and we always did Friday nights with mo- most college kids didn't want to do because they're out partying on Friday nights. But sure. we did the Friday night show, but it took advantage of that to make sure people would listen is that we had a lot of segments that were focused on different dance remixes and, you know, more on that side of the music, not as much talk. But if people are going to party, let's let's be the music for the party and get the listens that way. And that's the way we went at it. So, um Absolutely. yeah. I had a friend. Definitely did that fun.
1: Uh, he he used to do like a '90s thing on Saturday nights, and he actually oh, nice. got a lot of listeners doing
0: that. I bet '90s is a good. That's a good crowd pleaser.
1: It is. No, it really is, and he, he did really well with that. And uh, yeah, but we had a great time with that radio station. That was just. I mean, you know what it's like. You being, you know, being involved in a in a station like that. It's just so much fun, and um, you know, and, and and our station was top forty, so we, we were, you know, all the way current all the time, which added a whole another layer to it because I didn't do this, but we had other people in the station. You actually have to would have to update the list every week to make sure that whatever was on the Billboard Top Forty was playing. Um, uh, because if something's higher up on the top forty, that determined how many times it would play in a day. Right. And I believe if you were around number one, it would play about seven times a day.
0: Huh. Yeah. Ours was, I guess you'd call it an independent station, because I would plug in my laptop and play whatever I wanted. Mm-hmm. Like there, was, I didn't have any. There's no real governing what music you play. So we would create our own mixes on like a DJ software and do whatever we wanted to do. We didn't have to worry about playing anything that was top 40 or a specific genre or anything like that. Yeah, yeah,
1: I mean, it was just, um, we had an independent station, too. I wasn't involved with the independent station, but, uh, yeah, we had, I believe Syracuse, we had three radio stations going for the students at one time.
0: Wow. Well, yeah, that's a bigger school than my school. My school was actually, so I went from Easton, where our graduating class was like 700 kids, and the total student body was over 3,000 Mm -hmm. in my college the total enrollment was 1400 kids wow so i did the i went to the opposite of our high school i wanted to not be that in a big school i wanted to just have that more intimate experience with college but i know that syracuse is much larger obviously so it makes sense you have more than one
1: large and large and growing um they're they're doing a lot to add to it they're they're planning on, I think, getting up to like twenty thousand plus students. It was about fifteen thousand when I was there. Wow! Uh, but uh, yeah, still still growing. But but yeah, college was great. Um, you know, and and uh, I spent a year working for ABC News when I was in college, which was a, a neat side thing I got to do um, and actually get paid um, to do stories for uh, a major news network. That was a neat thing. And
0: yeah, and with uh, that, you know, if we go back to the Eastern thing, I think. Am I remembering this correctly? I remember going home for Thanksgiving to my parents' house and, of course, turning on the Easton Phillipsburg game at their house. And then there was Matt Pfeiffer on TV talking at the game. Was that with the ABC thing, or was that a different opportunity that you had?
1: That was a different thing. So that was, uh, I remember that was, I believe, sophomore year of college. Um, I had a radio story uh, I had to do because uh, you had to do a radio class before you did the TV stuff. And uh, we had to do one long package, like about five minutes. So I did a package on the Easton Peaberg game, um, and I was interviewed on the side. I was on the sideline getting natural sound, uh, interviewing. I had interviewed some people before the game, and I ended up uh, getting interviewed by Jack Logic, who's a family friend, uh, who does the sideline reporting at Easton Peaberg. So yeah, that's probably where you saw me yeah. getting interviewed. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, pretty neat to be on the sideline for stuff like that. I bet. Yeah, yeah, you know, I, I get to be on the sideline for the Philadelphia Eagles uh, while I was in college. I got to um, cover Eagles training camp for ESPN Radio in the Lehigh Valley, uh, uh, ESPN 1230, 1320, which was an awesome experience. So I get to go stand on the sidelines um, every day of training camp, talk to the players and the coaches as they came off the field, uh, and then put together a story every day, which was a pretty pretty amazing experience and uh uh neat to talk to uh all these players especially growing up an Eagles fan it was just ironic I got to cover the Eagles it's <laughs> awesome yeah um so yeah it was a it was a, a a neat time uh and and made a lot of great friends uh I mean just people who I still talk to to this day and, and you know especially from the band uh, I you know from the band and, and a couple people from the radio show those that Two groups of people who I, I still talk to the most, probably overall, actually. And, and in fact, a lot of my band friends ended up down in Washington, D.C., ironically enough. So uh, I keep up with them
0: <laughs> because awesome. I
1: see them about every week, multiple times a week. Yeah, so, that's great. So, and, and when you were in college, uh, you know, you, you, now you did the radio station. Did you swim or anything like that in college then? Yeah,
0: I did. I swam all four years. <laughs> So I was, like you talk about when you went to college and the band had that hookup where you were there a week early and things like that. It was the same thing for swimming. You know, and our coach went as far as putting all the freshman swimmers, we all lived on the same floor of the same dorm. So you walk out left to right of your dorm room and there's your teammates. And so going to practice, we're all right there. Just You went in as a unit as the a, as a freshman class and then everybody had each other's backs. So I did swimming and then... I ended up joining a fraternity uh, my freshman year and got involved in Greek life. I uh, did a lot of leadership positions there. I ended up being president of the fraternity my senior year. Um, did the radio station. You know, I worked on campus for the college magazine, writing press releases and taking photos and doing stuff for the website of the college and the magazine of the college and then just student senate and you know, the radio station, all sorts of things that on a on a small campus, you got to make a big name for yourself, you know, doing a whole bunch of things. So, definitely made the most of it. It was a lot of fun.
1: That's great. You say you 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 uh, took pictures. Are you a photographer? Do you like to do pictures a lot? Or,
0: um, I, yeah, I would say I like to do pictures. I wouldn't call myself a photographer. Uh, I know enough to be <laughs> dangerous. Uh, I've taken a couple of photography classes online just to just to know a little bit about what I'm doing behind the scenes. But I, I'm not an expert by any means. But in my job now, I came up through the marketing side of the company I work for. So I did a lot of, you know, art direction and would run photo shoots where there's an actual professional taking the photos. So it helped to know what it is I was talking about and how to give them proper direction to get the product that our company needed, you know. So it all kind of fed into itself.
1: Nice. Nice. That's great.
0: Yeah. So ABC, and then where do you, I mean, you have such a storied LinkedIn profile. I don't want to read the whole thing. and have it up in front of me, but I know that after ABC, you went on from there and to where you are now. I think your journey professionally is really interesting, and I'm curious about that and how you landed, yeah. where you landed, and what you learned along the way.
1: Sure, Yeah, so... Um, you know, so I did ABC when I was in college and then I ended up back at the radio station, um, cause, uh, Disney shut down the ABC news on campus program. <laughs> uh, but, uh, so I got an extra year out of, out of the radio station then, um, in my, my senior year, which was fantastic and loved every minute of it. And then after college, I ended up at NBC, um, with, and working in 30 rock. And, uh, that's always kind of a neat thing cause, um, the way I just describe it to people is, I ask people, "Have you seen
0: the show Thirty Rock?" And I don't know, have you seen Thirty Rock? I have, yes.
1: Yeah, so you know Kenneth the Page, right? Yeah, so that that's what I did. So I was I was a real life huh. Kenneth. That's um, funny. And, um, yeah, so they that's a. a First job out of college thing, and and I'll tell you what, I'm going to be honest with you, I wrote the cover letter in 20 minutes. (laughs) I said, well, I will throw in my name and see how this goes, and uh, I ended up getting hired uh, by NBC, um, which was an amazing opportunity, Uh, so, you know, being a Page is unique. Uh, You get to do, uh, you get to touch on a lot of different things in the company there, so they uh, set you up so that you apply as if they're jobs for about three-month pieces of time in different parts of the company, and you have one year, and then you have to leave the page program. So you do a mix of things. So, like, you do the tours of the studios. You know, if, if you go to, if you ever go to a studio tour, those are all pages doing that. Um, and it's paid. I should add, it is paid. Um, import, important factor when living in New York City.
0: Yeah, okay. um,
1: <laughs> Yeah. And then I did, uh, I worked for MSNBC for a bit uh, for um, Steve Karnacki and before that was Chris Hayes on their uh, Sunday, Saturday and Sunday morning shows. Uh, so I did a lot of research uh, for the topics they were going to discuss. It was kind of like a Sunday, Saturday, Sunday morning roundtable show. And then I would run the teleprompter um, on Saturdays and Sundays, which was uh, neat. I'd be in the control room and uh, and then uh, I uh, ended up with uh, Mad Money with Jim Cramer at CNBC, and that was an interesting one, too. I I was in the control room, the person bringing up all the stock charts. I would have to double-check and make sure we didn't talk about a stock uh, that we either weren't supposed to, because there were rules on that, on um, what stocks you can talk about, because if something is worth too little, you could actually move it so much that it would be, uh, you run into some legal issues. Wow. <laughs> so. There's actually limits on what you can talk about. If we talked about a stock once a week, we couldn't talk about it again. So you had to plan around what CEO you were going to have on and things like that. But then I also got to buy all the props and then return a lot of the props. We were talking about a company. That's a story you'd probably enjoy. I I remember very specifically we were talking about, I believe, post cereals. So they sent me to the grocery store to buy about 30 boxes of post cereal (laughs) on the company credit card. And, uh, but the thing is, is, they didn't refill our credit card enough, so eventually I'd have to return a lot of these products. Now, can you return 30 boxes of cereal? I don't know, but I do know you can return 26 boxes of post-cereal. Yeah,
0: that's hilarious.
1: Um, we, we ended up, but you can't do it right after, because they, you don't want to say that you're filming the food, because then they won't return it, so you just, they won't take it back. So I came back in the store with my 26 boxes of post cereal and said, I'd like to return these. And they had to, you know, go through and scan each of these boxes while some woman behind me was going, that's ridiculous. Who buys that much
0: cereal? (laughs) Um, (laughs) That's funny. Is that New York?
1: That was actually in New Jersey. CNBC is across the river, across the George Washington Bridge in Fort Lee, uh, New Jersey. Um, so
0: I'm just picturing I actually, a thick New York accent for that woman yelling about the cereal. Uh,
1: well, I think she did have a, a, you know, I think she did have a New York accent. I mean, that's how I remember it. But oh yeah, I mean, it was. I, I returned seven hundred dollars of stuff to Macy's. But all you had to do you just had to time it right. like I said you had to do it like a week or two after you bought it and then nobody would remember that you were you were just in there buying $800 dollars of stuff um, just to put it on display. <laughs> That's funny. Uh, it was it was it was uh, it was unique and I also got to meet like some of the top CEOs in America um, doing that because they'd all come in to talk to Jim Gramer. So I'd randomly get to meet like the CEO of Krispy Kreme or SAP or um, uh, Athena Health, and the reason I remember him is because he's one of the Bushes. He's a cousin of George W. Bush, um, and I just get to talk to these guys who were, you know, CEOs of Fortune 500 companies, which was kind of uh, kind of neat.
0: Uh, yeah, it's <laughs> um, amazing.
1: Experience. Oh yeah,
0: especially and, at the time you were probably what 24, 25
1: oh yeah i was like 23 24 years old and uh and and what was interesting is sometimes admittedly these guys would be a little nervous because they're used to talking to a boardroom not talking to a television you know camera with lord knows how many people you know a million people could be watching on the other end right uh so you know i my job was partially to kind of calm these guys down just to you know so that they would be nice and easy on camera and it worked, but uh, so that was neat. And I got to work at SNL a couple times. I got to go to after after parties with that. And do uh, uh, at SNL at, from SNL. I got to do uh, uh, some studio audience work with Jimmy Fallon's show. And, and the Dr. Oz show was there at the time as well. So uh, a, a neat experience at NBC.
0: Absolutely, you just dropped a bunch of names. That's awesome. <laughs>
1: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I could drop more, but I I won't. (laughs) (laughs) But um, I will tell you this. I'll give you a funny Dr. Oz show story. Okay. Uh, um, This this one, (laughs) sometimes they'd have a person on the show and they would need somebody to fill in a seat uh, on the show. And so they put me in the in the front row for just the beginning. And so you know they have the person coming. Oh, and here is Doctor Oz, and all these people are cheering. Hey! hey, hey. And, and the average audience member for Doctor Oz is probably a woman between the age of forty and sixty. Like just being honest, like sure. that was most of the audience. And he came right to me right away to shake my hand. I had forgotten to take off my badge, so it clearly looked like I worked there. But. <laughs> uh, he, he shakes my hand, so I know the TV cameras caught me. I think he wanted to prove that 20-something-year-old guys were on his
0: show. I'm sure. Uh, or, and then what got me, though, is what the topic was
1: after I'm clearly on camera, is the topic was how to make sure your breasts don't sag.
0: <laughs> and you're so, there smiling, shaking his hand, saying, I'm so happy and to there be am, there. I'm smiling, shaking Dr. Oz's
1: hand. So, yeah, that was... Um, so so there was there was my Dr. Oz moment. My SNL moment was I, I got to work season 39, episode one, uh, and I got to be on the floor for that. And that was Tina Fey was the host, and then uh, uh, Atomic Fire was on. And actually, at one point, Atomic Fire walked around the studio, and they walked right past me, so I was on SNL for like half a
0: second. That's awesome. <laughs> a couple more appearances, but, you'll have your own IMDB page, huh?
1: Uh, yeah, I, I don't know about that, <laughs> um, but, uh, but yeah, so, and then I ended up with the engineering department for a couple months because, uh, I knew I was going to law school, um, I was interested in the law, and, and so, uh, I ended up, uh, doing, uh, helping the, uh, engineering department at NBC, uh, do uh, their studio projects, and they were building a bunch of new studios: the new Tonight Show studio, the new Late Night with Seth Meyers studio. We had the Olympic Games uh, in Sochi going on, so got to be involved with that. Um, and it was, uh, yeah, it was, it was really, uh, you know, that was a, that was a, a neat experience uh, as well. Um, that was actually a little more manual labor, but I actually liked it in a way because um, there were some points, I'll admit, during the PAGE program where I got a little frustrated because there were just some other things that I wanted to, 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 to do and get done. Um, so I think, I think working with the engineering department was somewhat therapeutic, actually, and uh, sure. I, I met some great, great people um, there, and, and, who I still keep up with, and, uh, and then I went off to law school, so, uh, I know I've been talking a lot, so I don't know if you, <laughs> if you have anything specific you'd like to ask, go right ahead, I don't, I don't want to, sure. uh, No, that's you know, fine. <laughs> making a speech or something. No,
0: it's okay, um, I'm curious about law school, though, what was, I mean, I've never really spoken to anybody that went to law school, what was sure. law school like, I mean, how would you sum up law school in a few sentences?
1: Mm, a few sentences. Law school, you know, I heard it one time explained, and I think it is explained pretty well. First year, they scare you to death. Second year, they work you to death. And third year, they bore you to death. Yeah, that's um, um, I wouldn't say I was ever bored with it, though. I mean, it, because you're always doing something, and if you are if you are passionate about it, you'll love it. And 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 I was passionate about the law, and uh, yeah, I have to admit, it was somewhat of a, a, a A leap of faith. I really didn't know that many lawyers. I really, you know, I did it all on my own. I made the decision on my own before I even got to NBC. I studied for the LSAT on my own, took the LSAT, and picked the school on my own. Ended up picking American University here in in DC, which was an excellent choice. Uh, You know, in retrospect, I'm very happy I went there. But uh, yeah, it, it was. You know, law school is just one of those things, it's, it's grinding, but if you really are interested in the
0: topic, it is just unbelievably valuable. So, from broadcast journalism to law, yeah. how do the two come together?
1: Well, they're kind of coming together now.
0: <laughs> yeah? Um, you
1: know, I, I've been hired by Bloomberg Law to be a journalist covering litigation, so they like they wanted a lawyer to cover uh, health care litigation, especially around Medicare and fraud issues. And I have a law degree um, and, and the, uh, the bar license as well. Um, and they, they chose to hire me on um, to write stories, um, but also they wanted somebody who had the ability to do TV or radio if necessary, which I had that in my back pocket. So it's kind of all combined at once. Not really, I have to admit, I didn't really necessarily think things were gonna come down this path um quite this way, but uh but I'm really glad they have uh it's it's such a great combo of things, and uh you know I get to do all the things that I'm trained to do which is which is amazing, really
0: yeah, it's rare that all your your previous experience matches up with now what you're currently interested in and all rolls up into one professional package. That's great.
1: It, it is. Yeah, it absolutely is. And, uh, and it's just very cool to have that.
0: So this is a very bad segue. But, so you're in D.C. Are you absolutely. doing any reenacting in D.C.? <laughs>
1: uh, so I, I have done, I have participated in one In two reenactments in D.C. proper. Okay. Uh, So I do colonial era and civil war. Um, I have not done any colonial era down here. I do union civil war. Um, So I participated in the 150th anniversary commemoration of of Lincoln's assassination at Ford's Theater, um, which was an interesting experience. So what they did is they had... They wanted people dressed in period attire, so I had my my union uniform. Uh, they wanted us um, to kind of hang out on the street and talk to people as they were coming by, and then they had uh, a sh- they had a commemoration show there that night. I have to admit, I don't know what was in the show because I couldn't go in; I had to stand outside. Sure. <laughs> but uh, Colton Powell was there. There were a couple, you know, a lot of DC bigwigs and, and politicians were there. Um, and uh, but at the end of the night we all had candles and uh, we were we were holding candles and uh, uh, around the time that the assassination had happened and when he would be taken when on the anniversary of Lincoln being taken across the street to the house across the street where he died the next morning and then there were a couple of actors that were portraying different people um, you know and, and kind of, Saying, like, oh, I saw a man jump down from the balcony. And, and it, was, it was done very well, I have to say. And, and done tastefully as well, which, because obviously you're dealing with a very dark moment in American history. So right. um, tough to deal with, to, to get that right. But I thought they really did. And so I got to be involved with that. And then the next morning, I was there uh, for, they had a, a short ceremony. Um, and and a couple speakers speak um, about about Lincoln and his legacy, um, which was very neat. And then the other one I did is um, a, co- a couple weeks after that, about a month or so after that, they did the 150th anniversary of the Grand uh, Review, which was the big parade that the Union Army did down Pennsylvania Avenue after the uh, war ended. So I got to uh, participate in that. Um, that was run by the African American Civil War Museum, which is down here in D.C. So, so those are the two I've done in D.C. I do go, um, to Gettysburg when I can to do that reenactment. Um, actually, I think the best run reenactment from the Civil War side is Cedar Creek, um, which is in October, um, which is a neat one to do for me because I actually had an ancestor who fought at Cedar Creek, uh, That's so, cool. and I, I, unfortunately was captured there, but, um, so it's neat always to do Cedar Creek for that reason uh, as well.
0: So how did you get into all the reenacting thing? I remember you doing it in downtown Easton for the colonial era stuff, and that's there in Easton, but never really asked you what what sparked that interest in you.
1: Sure. So when I was um, in Boy Scouts, uh, you know, and, uh, just like you, you remember we had to do citizenship in the community. Right. Uh, Merit badge, and, and part of that was going to historic sites, um, I, there was like you had to go to like two community things, and I remember one of them was the Bachman Public House, and I had uh, which was built in 1753. And I remember having gone there when they were fixing it up when I was in elementary school. So my mom said, "Why don't you go to the Bachman Public House?" So we went down, and I remember talking to Phil Mittman, who was in character there, Phil Mittman, who was the the mayor of Easton there at that time, and he said, "Well, why don't you?" Uh, you know, volunteer with us and, and dress. And they had clothes that you could uh, borrow until eventually I was doing it so much that we we bought <laughs> a pair, a set of colonial clothes. Um, but and then I, I would lead the tours at Bachman, and we did uh, tavern nights where those were so much fun. We would have uh, uh, we would pick a night. Uh, we would say, you know, it's you know april of 1775 or it's july of 1776 or we would pick a time period and we would just go based on what you knew and we would start talking about the war effort or you know what was happening in easton at that time and and just start talking to the guests who were there having a meal and um which was neat and then uh, I kept doing it through college when I would come home, uh, at the summer and the summers I would do heritage day, uh, which is in July. And, and uh, I was involved in a, a treaty of Easton, um, little pageant that they would do every year with that. And, uh, but I started meeting the civil war unit, um, that came every year and, uh, they eventually said, oh, why don't you come to the Civil War stuff? And uh, I, I said, all right. You know, so um, after college, I, I went and bought a uniform, bought uh, a, re- a reproduction 1853 Enfield rifle, um, and uh, went out and I started doing some Civil War reenacting too. And my mother does that stuff too. She's a big history buff, so she does the colonial and the Civil War uh, stuff as well.
0: I never met anybody else that's done that before. So it's just cool to hear your side of it.
1: Oh yeah, it's a, it's a cool hobby. It's an expensive hobby, but it's a it's a cool one.
0: <laughs> yeah. So what does it mean when you say you bought a pair of colonial clothes? I mean, how expensive is a pair of colonial clothes?
1: So the first colonial set I bought when I was a kid, we didn't go too we didn't go too expensive because we knew I was going to grow out of them. But uh, so that was a couple hundred bucks. That's probably like 150 or 200 total. but uh, when I was in college, I had a gentleman's like a gentleman's outfit that would have been roughly like 1775 1776 made. yeah, and I had friends who have a business who make the clothing, and uh, that cost about seven hundred dollars.
0: Oh my goodness but
1: the whole thing yeah. And, uh, the Civil War uniform was about 200 for all the basic stuff, but then I needed an extra, uh, I needed a different jacket because the unit I portray, uh, wore jackets with longer, uh, that, that went farther down, closer to the knees. Um, and so that jacket was $200 and the gun was about 700. So, you know, i you, you get the picture. I've spent well over $2,000 on right. the rent
0: stuff. So and is that easy. something then that you get paid to be a reenactor? or is it all just for the love of the game?
1: Uh, for me, it's been the love of the game. Now, there are sometimes events where people can get paid. Um, there are ways to do it, but it, usually it's if you do an era that's not done as much. So you're not going to get paid for Civil War. I can tell you that. Right. At colonial, you have a slightly better chance, you know, depending on what you're being asked to do. But uh, I don't know many people who get. Well, I don't know if I can name anybody who really gets paid. I know units will get paid. Like the unit I'm in, sometimes will get money to show up to an event that will go into the unit's general fund you know, to, to fund some of our events and things like that. Right. Um, but that's about it. Uh, sometimes, uh, but you know, a fair number of reenactors too. You can always end up as extras in historical films and things like that too.
0: Which, sure, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, I, I have not done that yet, um, but you know, who knows? Maybe, maybe
1: someday I'll get to do that. There's plenty of stuff that's historic that gets filmed down here that if right.
0: I ever wanted to reenact, it, it'd probably be pretty easy. <laughs> well, and with the way all your other previous life experiences have seemed to collide into each other, I'm sure it's only a matter of time until this one makes it into the mix too. It'd be fun. (laughs) Yeah. So, Matt, the next portion of this, you know, this has been more conversational, but I have a bit of a questionnaire I've developed that we'll get into. Um, And then at the end, it's just, you know, if you have any questions for me. So we've gone over who you are and where you're from. Um, How old are you?
1: I am 28.
0: 28. Okay. So at 28 years old, what would you say is your happiest life moment? Wow,
1: that's deep. Um, I would have to say probably two things I'm going to say. I think one, graduating from law school was a was was, it was just such a, a great day. And I just like that feeling of accomplishment that you did it, you climbed that mountain. Right. Um, and the other one is when I learned I passed the bar. That's probably the loudest
0: I've ever cheered. <laughs> I bet. I mean, that's that's a uh, that's a big deal. Because they
1: made me have to... Oh, this was awful. They they told me two days in advance that it was going to come out. This is DC.
0: Okay. So then you knew for 48
1: hours that you were going to know whether you passed. Oh,
0: it. man. Terrible. Just waiting in suspense. And, and then they delayed it by like an hour.
1: And then it wasn't even like an email. You had to scroll through the list and find your name. Wow. Which was you know, until I saw my name was not a great moment.
0: Yeah, that's cruel. (laughs) Uh, That's a cruel way to do it.
1: it, It's very, yeah, it it was pretty cruel. So those are two, like, really just super happy moments I can think of that, that, you know, are based on an accomplishment. Other than that, I mean, I'm a really happy person, so (laughs) I feel like, you know, I'm always doing something that's just like, I try to always do things that give me joy, you know, and, and
0: sure. you know. So opposite of that, what would you say has been your lowest life moment?
1: Mm. I would say, uh, you know, for, for me, uh, a lower life moment for me, um, you know, I think when my grandfather died, uh, in, in the spring of, of 2009, that was really hard. For me, um, I, I'm a lot like my grandfather, uh, and uh, he's very much why I am who I am. He's the one who was interested in volunteer work and and things like that. And uh, and and I think in the first couple months after that, you know, sometimes when I was doing doing big things, and and I always thought, well, oh, boy, I wish he could see this." Right. And So, uh, so I think I think that was
0: probably for me the hardest weak,
1: um, you know, seeing, seeing him, you know, when you knew, you knew things were not going to end well was that, that probably very easily is the worst. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And you're right. It's hard then when they're gone, you keep thinking, I wish they could see this, you know, I mean, my, my dad's parents both passed away. Gosh, I guess it's a little over a year ago now that they both passed. They, they, they passed within a few months of one another, but, um, my son will be five months old on Monday. So, um, new father and enjoying that. And, you know, all these different moments, you know, my dad's father was a Lutheran pastor. And so when we got him baptized, I said to my wife, man, it would be great if Papa was here. You know, we could have had him do it, you know, those little things. So I definitely relate yeah. to that, that it's hard and it, it, it catches you off guard sometimes in a happy moment you start oh, it does. you start thinking about you know that sad side of it so that's hard
1: Oh it does it does there's so many things i've done that i i sit there and say boy you know if only pop pop could see this you know and and you know it just would be so cool just to talk to him about those things so.
0: Yeah What if and for me i don't know about you but it's when you step back and think about life in general it's i just hope one day as morbid as this sounds, one day when I'm gone, right, that somebody says, I wish Miles was here for this, you know, because that's right. the true definition, I think, of, you know, of, of status in this life is that when you're absent from something, people still wish that your presence was there. And if you can do that, then you've made a good impact on things. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's, all, it's good to be remembered. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Good, be good. But, but hopefully
1: that day is... Very, very,
0: very long. Interview. Very long. Yeah, very far away. So, man, all these things you've talked about from NBC to ABC and radio and TV and now you know, law and writing, I mean, those are all the variations of your occupation, but what would you say that your passion is? Oh, you know, I, I, I think, you
1: know, I've been thinking a little bit about this, you know, just because when you're early in your career, you, you do think about these things. Um, I think ultimately my passion is trying to make people's lives better, you know, and trying to, and trying to do something, trying to do good, and, and trying to do, make the world better in some way, and you can do that as a journalist, as I would like to think I'm doing now, and you can do that in other things, which kind of plays into, you know, when I was in law school, I was with a pro bono law firm, and we did work on peace negotiations and post conflict transitional work and things like that. And I think some of that is some of the proudest work I've ever done. For all of the other things that there was, you know, uh, you know, leading up up through law school, doing some of that, you know, is just because you knew you were doing something that is going to hopefully have a positive effect on, on somebody's life and, you know, trying to help make the world better. So I think I think for me that is a, a real passion that that is very strong
0: yeah it's admirable Yeah, you know, and, and and i i i don't mean to sound like you know a a person giving a miss america speech or something <laughs> but no you um, don't
1: yeah so so i think uh I, not to turn it on you but what would you consider to be your passion
0: sure uh that's a good question um and it's one, it's, it's, it's funny. I think someone else asked me this in one episode or another, just talking to friends about this as I've been working on this project. And lately my passion that has been finding new passions, um, just, I still feel like I'm, I haven't settled on something outside of my occupation that I would say, this is my one true passion. Um, I like learning new things. I'm a big reader. Um, I'm a I'm a I'm a thinker really at the end of it all is um I contemplate a lot of things often and I drive my wife crazy with the, my random thoughts I speak out loud so my passion is really just is learning and is experiencing new things and bringing that to the forefront you know a lot of times you know the people that talk about that stuff are – you know, instead of having the small talk conversation, you want to get in a deep conversation like this one. People are like, "Who the hell is that guy? He's weird." Like, this is uncomfortable because it's not a normal conversation. And so, I like, I like that though. I like being in that uncomfortable state and kind of forcing people out of their comfort zones. And and uh, I think, cause I think growth comes out of that, you know. So, absolutely. I think my passion is really it's just it's it's being that guy that's pressing the boundaries and just and just. Adding new things to my repertoire as far as life experiences go.
1: Oh yeah, yeah. I mean that's great, you know. And 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 you, you can never. I, I agree with you, you. You can never add too many life experiences. To me, to me, life is about going and experiencing it, going and doing things.
0: Oh yeah, absolutely. And I feel bad for the people that just are. It's so they're so stagnant. You know, they're still doing the same thing over and over and over again. <laughs> They talk about things they want to do, and it's just like, just go do it, you know? Oh, yeah. Like this podcast, I just decided one day, I love podcasts, listen to them. I was like, I'm going to do this. Got Uh a little starter kit of equipment, and here I am. You know, I think you're going to be episode number 16 or 17, you know, by the time this thing goes live. So it's, you just got to just go. Don't overthink it, just do it, you know?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and you know what's funny is I, I talk about this subject sometimes to people, and I say that I have a bucket list. And people are like, well, why do you have a bucket list in your 20s? And my answer is because then I'll get more – I'll check off more things off my bucket list.
0: Absolutely, so yeah. Yes, yeah, um, I said that to somebody on here too. That they were talking about age and how somebody was turning an age and they were upset by, you know, oh, man, I'm turning 30, let's say. And I think people have that outlook where they have that they have that thought about the age just because they're not happy with what they've accomplished in that period of time. You know, cuz it really is you should be excited for that next year because it's a chance to do more things and you have learned more in that year and have access now to maybe more information and can do even more to build upon it and other or, or you have the attitude like oh man, I'm 30 and I haven't done anything and I hate my life and you have that outlook. So I'm yeah. with you. Yeah, there you go. There you go. We'll agree. We'll agree. <laughs> so that 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 leads very well into my next uh, couple questions. Here is, I mean, what do you think is the best piece of advice you've ever received?
1: You know, there's something I always think about. Is um, somebody in high school said? I think it was. I think it was. You remember Mr. Henshoe?
0: Man, that name sounds so familiar, but I can't. Yeah. I can't picture his face.
1: He was very involved with scouts too. Not when we were in it, like. I think he used to be at one of the base, he used to work at one of the base camps, I think, okay. like when we were little, and then and he was probably a teenager at that point, and then he was a teacher by the time we were in high school,
0: huh. um,
1: and I could be completely wrong about that timeline, but anyway, uh, but, you know, when he was, a t- I remember he said that, you know, always do something you like, because if you do something you like, you'll never have to work a day in your life, and to me, that's very important. You know, is make sure you're doing something you like, um, and that that's something that you know. And I've probably heard it other places
0: too, but I remember him saying it. <laughs> right. Uh, and uh, so I
1: I always try to stick with that. You know, is try to always do something I like. Um, there are plenty of there are plenty of people I've heard talk about. I remember somebody saying to me. Oh yeah after law school you should go and work at a big firm and you know because that's what I did and I hated every minute of it, minute of it but you should do it because it's good for you and I'm like <laughs> well why do, you do something that you're gonna say you hate and I think what I'm doing right now is so much more fun than what I'd be doing in a firm or something like that you know sure. I, I get to talk to people every day. Uh, like we're doing now. I get to have conversations with people. I get to learn about different parts of the law. I get to, you know, uh, make connections with people that, that, you know, and, and if I talk to them enough, it, it could very well go past just being, uh, just being a connection of, of, of a, a professional connection. It could be a friendship. Sure. So that always, you know, so, so I guess that would be a piece of advice that I try to follow is I just try to make sure I'm always doing something I like. And something that I'm interested in, so that it's not work. You know, it's, it's something that
0: you enjoy. So that's the best piece of advice you've received. If you were to give a piece of advice to everybody listening out there, what do you think is the best piece of advice you could give?
1: I would say, if I'm going to give a piece of advice, is to follow your passions and never give up on your dreams. You know, and, and that's something I'm so big on, so big on, um, because I think a lot of people when high school ends or college ends, uh, I think sometimes people think it's going to be too hard and they just give up, they give up on their dreams, They or, or you know, there's too many obstacles or this or that, and my thing is, is that means it's time to kick in and, and go for it. And aim high. You know, I really do believe in that. You know, aim for the stars and you might land on the moon. Always aim as high as you can go because you'll go far. And always, you know, whatever that dream is. And, and it, you know, obviously people talk about professional things. It doesn't have to be professional. It could be, you know, whatever it might be. It might be a family thing. It might be, uh, uh, you know, traveling you know the world thing, or you know, could be you know whatever. You know, you know skydiving. I don't know. Uh, it's just I think people need to make sure that if you have a dream of something you want to do, go try to make it happen, and and don't just give up on it because it seems too hard.
0: Absolutely, I I believe in that wholeheartedly. <laughs> and um, I had a staff meeting this morning at work. I lead every week, and actually brought in one of my son's books. It's the Dr. Seuss book, Oh, The Places You'll Go. And I use it to make an example because in the middle of the book, he talks about being stuck in the waiting place, you know, where you're just waiting. Everybody's just waiting, waiting for this to happen or that to happen. And it's easy to get stuck in that where there's so much going on and you're just waiting for someone else to fix it or waiting for it to get better instead of digging in like you're talking about and making it better. And just taking that step, and that's that's huge. It's a huge okay. thing to do in life, and everything.
1: And it's amazing if you take chances what what will happen. And I should add to that, that sometimes the best things are the things you don't expect either. Oh, for sure. Some, some of the best things, honestly, a lot of the best things that have ever happened to me are things that came completely out of left field. <laughs> they weren't expected. It wasn't something that was on my radar even a couple months before they happened. They just happened, and they ended up being amazing.
0: Right. And I'm sure they happened because you put yourself out there in whatever else you were doing at that time. If you hadn't taken that step, that door wouldn't have opened. So it all feeds into itself.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: So my last question is really more of a statement. I'd like you to describe your life in three words.
1: Gee, three words. Hmm. Exciting, uh, passionate, and surprising. And I'd love to explain those a little bit, but...
0: <laughs> yeah, well, that's, that was what I was going to say, so please do.
1: Okay. Exciting because I think the things I do, I always try to do exciting things, interesting things. I try to go places and, and get those experiences, kind of what we were just talking about. I have right. my bucket. Sure. I have my list of things that I go and do, um, and I find them exciting. Now, maybe somebody else would think some of the things on my list are kind of dull, but, you know, (laughs) that's fine. I I like them, and I think they're exciting. So, you know, I I do, you know, between my reenactments and my traveling and, you know, uh, going to, uh, you know, uh, different events that that I've always wanted to participate in or or doing the band when I was in college, things like that, you know, I, I think all those things were exciting. Passionate because all the things that I choose to do, uh, I, I'm passionate about just very, you know, I, I want to be, you know, I, if I get involved in something, I, I, really throw myself all the way in, whether it's my work or a hobby, you know, um, you know, and I kind of described both of those as we were talking, you know, whether it's the work I'm doing now at Bloomberg, where, you know, I'll throw myself into doing two stories a day and, and going all out and Putting out two of the best stories I can, and, and or or you know going all in, and you know having fun at a reenactment, or or you know golfing, or whatever that might be, uh, you know whatever, whatever else it might be, and uh, and then finally surprising because kind of what I mentioned, I think sometimes it, it's the unexpected things that have happened that have turned out to be the best things. And like I said, I, I applied to NBC on a whim. I probably, for the ABC News job that I had in college, didn't have... I didn't know if I really expected to get that one either or things like that. So I think... But there have always been also, when I've gone to places, there have just been these like surprises around the corner that turned out to be these wonderful things that are the things that you end up remembering the most, right? And so I think... There's, there's that too. There's always nice to have an element of surprise in your life where you can surprise yourself with with what happens or what you end up getting involved with or, or you know, things like that.
0: Absolutely. It keeps it interesting. It does. I said that was my last question, so it's my last question for you, but the next question, truly last question, is just whether or not you have any questions for me. Well, um, let me ask you, uh, you know... Uh,
1: I know you just mentioned that I believe tomorrow is, is what your, your son's five month anniversary. What has that experience been like of becoming a, becoming a new father and, and, and taking that huge step in life? What, what has that been like?
0: Oh man, it's, it's hard to put into words really. I mean, there's so many different moments within the process of parent, becoming a parent, you know? from the moment you find out that you are going to become a parent to the whole pregnancy and then, you know, delivery. And then afterwards, it's, it's really, it's remarkable. And it's, it's, it's stressful and, you know, anxiety ridden and full of happiness and joy. And it's, it's almost every bit of human emotion you can think of rolled up into one experience. So it's, it's hard to really put into a sentence, but I've loved it so far. I mean, it's—he's five months old, and it's flown by so quick. It's crazy. It makes you just hate the day your—you know—your parents said one day you'll understand when you're older. You know, it's like, damn it! I think that day's here. I think I get it now. You know, everything they were talking about. So, I just look forward to—you know—I know, know you're an Eagle Scout, and so was I. So I, I look forward to doing scouts again and doing swimming again or baseball or. You know, whatever he wants to do, just being able to relive those moments of my childhood that I love so much um, with him now.
1: Yeah, it's great. But that kind of, you also kind of answered, because I was going to ask, has it changed your outlook on life? But I think you kind of just answered that some.
0: Yeah, it absolutely has. I mean, not that I was, I don't think I was a selfish person, but it really removes all possibility of selfishness where... On a day-to-day basis, it's not about just you anymore, or about me and my wife anymore. It's, you know, it's very much revolves around his schedule. Sure. Life definitely changes, but it's it's for the better. I, I believe that is for the better.
1: That's fantastic. Well, congratulations, of course, to, to you and your wife. Thank and, you. And that, that's just absolutely wonderful, and glad glad that's been a rewarding experience.
0: Well, I, it's been great talking to you, and I appreciate you taking the time to catch up and and, and being, a, being a willing participant on this project of mine. So I look forward to putting it out there with the world and seeing what other people pick up from it, little nuggets of wisdom you have to offer.
1: Oh, well, thanks, and it was great to be on. And, uh, yeah, so uh, and now uh, I will keep you in mind for any future story I might work on
0: now. <laughs> yeah, I owe you one.
1: <laughs> okay.
0: And that'll do it for another episode of Relish the Journey. Thank you to everyone out there listening. Be sure to follow Relish the Journey on social media. I'm on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at RTJ Podcast. Let me know what you think of each episode using hashtag RTJ Podcast. And if you'd like to email me directly to get on the show or to give me ideas for future questions to ask my guests, you can email me at miles.rtjpodcast at gmail.com. And that's Miles with a Y. Until next time, I hope you all relish the journey.